You and me We carry memories that we just can't see Buried deep inside And though we try To leave those moments so So far behind In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment Education and some adjective to be named later The Holmes Army proudly presents TrekQuest 5 A conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor And pretty much whatever else they want to talk about Your hosts for TrekQuest 5 are Joey and Peter Just for a while So we can learn I know you don't understand Good evening and welcome to Podcast 190. I am Peter. And I am Joey. 190, man. Yeah. We're getting up there. We are. Um, but uh, there's there's no room for celebration yet. I'm just saying, maybe it's time to start thinking if we want to do something special for number 200. Uh, I say we record a podcast. Okay. That, I said special, though. Ah, yeah. Um, re- realistically, though, we've done over 200. That's true. So it's it doesn't really count. It's not anything it's spectacular. It's an opportunity to celebrate. I don't it's know a number. To, it's why, a number. Why do you have to be a downer all the time? Because the movies and the poetry podcasts and all the other weird things that we did that we didn't ever give a, an official number to have counted. We we're just not that <laughs> celebratory. I'm not anyway. And by we, you mean you. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, two weeks in a row. We're uh, if we can hit three, we'll be on uh, a happen. streak. Dang it! Why? Uh, what's going on this next week? Uh, I am taking the intern, the Trekwest Five intern, down to live with our parents for the summer. Oh, right, that's happening. Yeah. Okay, I remember. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Aaron, good luck. I hope you don't die. Doing manual labor because it's terrible down in St. George. I think he's going to be making as much over the summer as I am. <laughs> I think we will be making the same wage. How how does that happen? My dad is generous. Good on you, Aaron. Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, okay. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, getting uh, feedback from Aaron as to what's happening down there. Maybe he could take pictures and post them on the <laughs> Facebook group wall. So that we can see what he has to okay. do. I would get a chuckle out of that. I, I know I would. Okay. Any interesting stories, anecdotes? Not really. What have uh, you? I, you know, I, I, I do have to say it was nice of, I think it was Alejandro, or I can't remember now what his name is. Alessandro? Alessandro. Uh, you know, he posted a thing on there about how he was moved by my story of my interaction with my son. That was nice. That was a nice thought. It was. It was. And he ran another marathon, uh, and he's through season three of our listening of uh, Battlestar Galactica. Hold strong. You'll get through it. Uh, we did, too. <laughs> Look, I can, you can. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess... Uh, um, man, I feel like there's something I'm missing. Uh, but let's just read a couple of emails, okay? Uh, because I know I've got to do those. Um, this is from listener M. He's uh, and uh, he sent a an email with the subject an idea. 
I really liked how John's Star Trek podcast watched Voyager. The best part was hearing the between episodes not watched summaries. Especially because it sparked an interest in watching shows that didn't get picked. Nazi dinosaurs? (laughs) FTW. That might be a good way for Joey to watch some episodes of The Simpsons. Yeah, okay. Who knows? Maybe. Why not? I'm not going to lie. There's a few Lisa episodes that really just are not that great for me. A few Marge episodes that aren't spectacular either. But you always go for the Homer and Bart ones, huh? Usually, because they're the <laughs> they're two of the dumbest ones on there. <laughs> but, but that is where the jokes are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not always, you know, always them. Um, I should point this out. We have another email from uh, Mark, uh, from Dean, from John Leindecker, from uh, let's see, somebody else, uh, Bob. Uh, but more importantly. I got an email from Brainy this last week oh, saying, great. Hey, did you guys not get my email I sent? Oh. And I, you know, Pete's I'm sorry up. Joey didn't bother to actually check in time. Or he made me wait 90 minutes while he watched the episode. <laughs> after he made me wait like two hours while he played League of Legends with our office crew. Uh, anyway, we goofed it. We forgot to read his email last I week. I even asked you if there was one, and you said no. What can I say? You, we, you can stop blaming me. We, we didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's an option. It's, well, that's it's probably not one that's going to be taken. <laughs> it's on the table. Uh, let's not pin ourselves down to anything okay. just yet. Um, anyway, so I do have a Brainy's Nook of Darkness for last week, as well as some comments that he made last okay. week. Um, should I read those comments now? Do I you think? think? So. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's do it. He says, "Hey, dudes, glad everybody is back and things are going again." I was going to include some final thoughts on Battlestar Galactica until I realized I really didn't have much to say that hasn't been said by one of us already. The series ended with some dumb stuff, but not as dumb as most shows. And overall, it was an incredibly fun show to watch with a friend or two. I also very much appreciated the discussions generated by the overlords towards some of the more serious subject matters within the show. And the characters of Coddle and Ty have some of the funniest one-liners from any show. From paper shortages to smoking in front of pregnant women, those two allowed for the show to be more watchable. But they were not as funny as my favorite character from the series, Gaius Fracking Baltar. (laughs) The series would not have been possible without he and Six. And so, on to top five. I am interpreting today's list as our own favorite top five non-sci-fi shows. So, without further ado, here we go. Number five, Deadwood. Probably impossible for any decent loving Mormon to ever watch, but David Milch wrote the show excellently, and there are an infinite amount of intriguing stories with these cowboys and their dirty lives. Number four, Samurai Jack. Oh, probably not exactly perfect for Trek West Five. However, sci-fi. It's one of the most artfully and thoughtful TV shows I know. 
It's about a samurai who traveled in time. How is that not science fiction? I don't know. All right. I'm not Defend sure. Defend his opinion, Pete. Well, here's the thing. He's he's indicating that these are uh, non-sci-fi shows. And if you're saying Samurai Jack is definitely sci-fi, Absolutely sci-fi. I'm questioning his list now. Okay. Number three, The Walking Dead. Yes, I've said it before. It continues to gain more traction every new season, and the record-breaking uh, ratings speak for themselves. But perhaps is the fact that the humans of the show must undergo incredibly difficult decisions, basically every moment of their terrible post-apocalyptic lives. The factor that I care about the most, the writing, is absolutely awesome. With comic creator Robert Kirkman on the writing staff, as well as the showrunner being Scott Gimple, it is super entertaining and impacting. Number two. I know that I suggested this already, and I know it is science fiction. However, uh, however, let's can take this opportunity to recommend we check out the original radio BBC production of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. It is, after all, the, the original manifestation of this legendary narrative, delivering an unmatched level of wit and insight. Douglas Adams paints a masterpiece. Also, the cast members for the radio production are all unforgettably memorable to me. The production itself is also amazing considering how groundbreaking it was for 1978. I think one of the main reasons the radio production is so amazing is that the entire production crew was foraging something unprecedented and incredible with an unbridled sense of inspiration. And number one leads us into this week's, really last week's, installment of Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Number one, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, jeez. As if there were a better reason to watch than it is Joss Whedon's show. One more reason might be the fact that Marvel is creating a new form of storytelling that has never been accomplished in the world of cinema and television. Terrible? I'm sure everyone has heard all about this thing Marvel is making so much money from. But there is an overarching story that connects the first Iron Man movie through the rest of the Iron Man movies, as well as the Avengers and the Hulks and the Thors. Oh yeah, and both Captain America movies. In fact, this season of S.H.I.E.L.D. had one episode ending with a cliffhanger on its Tuesday night time slot. That Friday, the story was picked up at the movie theater with the new release of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. The end of The Winter Soldier was then picked up again in the story of S.H.I.E.L.D. on the following Tuesday. That has never happened before, and it was pretty cool. And in its first season, each episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. has improved dramatically. The show was running on all cylinders for the finale this week. One final reason to check the show out is the main uh, the main actor is played by Clark Gregg, and he is so good. As Agent Coulson, he has a perfect balance of toughness, sincerity, and levity. And they just got picked up for a second season. Yay. Now, you had some disparaging <laughs> remarks to make at the beginning here. 
and uh, I appreciate you holding some of them back whilst I read the rest of this. Uh, this sounds like a pretty glowing report here. What what do you have to say about this? Uh, so what I have to say about it is I cannot confirm nor neither deny his assertion that it gets better with every single episode because I felt the pilot episode was so bad that the series was unwatchable. And I just and I haven't watched it since that first that pilot episode was terrible television. It that means it has nowhere else to go but up. That's true, but doesn't necessarily mean it will go up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It could stay right could, in the bottom could, yeah, of just you know terrible that, you know, that rock bottom. <laughs> um, okay. I, I hadn't heard anything else about it other than I, I've heard a few facts of what happened like there were character or there were plot lines that were started in that pilot that i've asked people who are watching us so what happened with this one oh xyz you know this is that that was character such and such or you know what what how was clark greg alive for example his character uh agent colson because okay. he died mm-hmm. yep Avengers he did movie. well it appeared that he died fair point uh i don't think i don't think they are tying the hulk storylines into yeah which hulk storyline yeah neither of them neither of the hulk movies that have been made tie into the avengers they they were very i don't know i i felt it was very clear that they were just ignoring that those were ever made (laughs) would that we all could um so here's the thing he uh brainy mentions here at the top that it is uh joss whedon's show okay if I could believe that Joss Whedon was actually heading that up yeah. and not working on Avengers two m- bigger projects, more money making projects than a simple TV show, I could say, okay, I want every part of that. Joss Whedon doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, at least it's not my opinion that he does that anymore. If he's involved in the day to day operations of a thing, I want to be a part of it because I think the man is brilliant. Just don't get. I don't get the feeling like he's going to be paying that much attention to this. Yeah, he certainly wasn't paying attention to the pilot. I don't think. Okay. Uh, well, I've not seen any of it. I like the idea of it. I loved the idea. I wanted it to be good. Well, I'm not tainted yet. I've not seen anything at all, so okay. I I could come into this with a clean slate. Here, here to me is the bigger problem. For a list that purported to be a list of non-science fiction shows, I would argue that four of those shows are science fiction. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, so maybe I should have more plainly stated drama shows, but that's okay. We still got a list, and it was yep. enjoyable to hear his point of view on those. By the way, I did get one piece of feedback from the intern that I was to pass on. Oh, okay. The uh, the reading of your list last week was the was for Aaron the reintroduction of the levity that makes Trek West Five so great. I, ble- <laughs> I believe those are his exact words. <laughs> I'm glad he enjoyed it. Honestly, I thought people would get kind of annoyed because I felt like I was going on and on and on for a while because there was a lot of shows. He thought it was pretty funny. I'm glad he enjoyed that. He uh, he didn't feel that uh, we should do Twin Peaks. His contention is that it's a soap opera and beneath us. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I welcome his opinion along with many others. 
Um, let me read what he had to say about the empty hearse last week. I heard somewhere that the actors who play John and Mary are a longtime couple in real life. Yes. Which explains their super awesome on-screen chemistry. And speaking of chemistry, did we even see uh, Sherlock lift a single beaker in this episode? Well, he has been focusing on international espionage recently, but there are some further interesting contrasts that emerge in the writing of this episode. The details of the missing train man mystery are less significant than the character development that our duo undergoes in the train, especially when Sherlock employs that old tactic where you make your jaded friend get over his problems at an amazingly accelerated rate Due to the bomb, he thinks he is about to kill everyone. (laughs) Underhanded yet effective technique. We also see that it really does not matter whether Sherlock Holmes kissed Molly or Moriarty. Because he and Mycroft Holmes' plan worked. Concurrently, the actual explanation of Sherlock Holmes' roof jump hijinks is not nearly as important to John as the reason why he was kept in the dark. He was not only withheld from any knowledge towards Sherlock and Mycroft's scheme, he was not contacted for two years, forcing the growing of his mustache. The mustache, in turn, prevented John from calling Miss Landlady, completing (laughs) the non-talking circle of frustration. I really love watching the evolution of Sherlock and Mycroft's relationship. They are both snobby, yet endearing jerks. Mark Gatiss had already written some of the Greatest Doctor episodes, so it is just delightful to witness the creativity that he and Moffat render through this show. Goody gumdrops. TV 8, Mystery 7. See you dudes soon, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh, Brainy, thank you very much for the email, uh, albeit a week late. Um, <laughs> now you're blaming him. I, I don't see how it can be anybody's <laughs> fault other than his. If he'd have gotten it in on time when I was printing off the emails. <laughs> uh, I'm only kidding. Sort of. I'm a jerk. Um, okay. So I think, uh, yeah, let's call that good as far as emails are concerned. Uh, I've got some other things to bring up as as people sent in a few lists, etc. Um, Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week. All right. So, not only a couple of small submissions this week, um, and I know I still have, I'm supposed to post up the picture I took with Tyrrell. Uh, sorry that I haven't done that yet. I will get that done this weekend. It was weekend. on the blog. Uh, it was on the blog. It was not on the Facebook group. Okay. I promised I would get it up on Facebook. I have not done that yet. Um, so, I will get that up there. Sorry about that, everyone. Facebook Find of the Week award go goes to Fishhead uh, for the Martin Freeman <laughs> sucking, on sucking in helium while uh, speaking um, about uh, it's on his show Into the Wormhole that, that shows on the Science Channel. One of the few science things that I think actually shows up on the Science Channel. Um, anyway, I got a good laugh about that because what's, you know, that iconic voice of his suddenly at high pitched levels just seems <laughs> silly. Um, so congratulations, uh, for that. Um, let's see here. Should we check and see, uh, 
Nope. I I still don't see an email from Brainy. Uh, so he didn't bother to send anything <laughs> in again this week. Thanks, Brainy. Maybe, maybe he'll send it in before we record next week. <laughs> <laughs> or probably after we go get dinner. Um, let's see here. J- top five? Top five. Let's do top five. All right. So, oh, listener M. He has a couple of things to say about last week's episode. Okay. Actually, no. I'm going to skip that. I'll, I'll lump that in with somehow with, when we get to the episode for this week. I'll just do top five right now. Top five. Three Little Pigs. Number four, Jack and the Beanstalk. Hmm. Which apparently there's another uh, uh, folktale, Jack and the Giant Killer. Which I'm assuming must be sort Not of Jack related. Jack the Giant Killer? Jack and the Giant Killer. Huh. I don't know. Maybe I'm not remembering I've, it correctly. I've heard of Jack and the Beanstalk being called Jack the Giant Killer. I just was looking through this uh, this afternoon when I was putting my list together and I saw the two of those right okay. next to each other. I'm okay. assuming they're probably pretty similar. Number three, The Ugly Duckling. Which didn't even make my list, but what a <laughs> nice little story that is. Yeah. Duck that grows up to be something it really wasn't even related to in the first place. Number two, the gingerbread man. <laughs> now I don't really I have heard of the gingerbread man, but I've never really I don't I don't think I know the story of the gingerbread man. Okay. Uh I, I would be hard pressed to tell you. I mean I assume it's the gingerbread man comes to life somehow magically, but I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know that it's ever explained how he comes to life, but the uh, the recurring line throughout the fairy tale is, run, run as fast as you can, you'll never catch me, I'm the gingerbread man. Okay. All right. Um, and number one, any fractured fairy tale told by Edward Everett Horton. Uh, which is fantastic. I love the fractured fairy tales. I'm not familiar with those. Really? Yeah. Oh, come on. You never watched Rocky and Bullwinkle? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they come on and they tell I, the fairy tale, sort of, but in like this war, yeah. warped and bizarre kind I, of I way. I just didn't recognize it by that title. Yeah. Um, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. <laughs> Wrong hat. Uh, let's see here. We will move over to... Oh, gosh. Wow. Dean... <laughs> <laughs> that was a, an exasperated sound. <laughs> it's such a long. He's so like meticulous about this. So I'm gonna save him. We will go to uh, John. Oh my, <laughs> John too. Oh my, and oh goodness. I guess we should let's do John here. Uh, <laughs> Hi guys. I hope you're doing well. Pete asked for more show recommendations again during the last podcast, so I thought I'd throw in a few suggestions. <laughs> in the spirit of short shows that you could get through quickly, number five, Bonanza, only 14 seasons. <laughs> number four, Mythbusters, only 15 seasons and counting. Number three, Gunsmoke, only 20 seasons. <laughs> number two, Nova, 41 seasons and counting. Oh, wow. Number one, Masterpiece Theater. Only 43 seasons. Feel free to skip any shows already reviewed. If you only want to review parts, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett, 
prime suspect, Foyles War, or Downton Abbey are just some suggestions. Dramas. Notables, with a high preponderance of 1970 shows for some reason. Columbo, The Waltons, The Rockford Files, Roots, Dragnet, Kung Fu, Quincy M.E., The Streets of San Francisco, Kojak, Black Sheep Squadron, Police Story, Cannon, Beretta, Magnum P.I., and Deadwood. Can I just interject? When you said Magnum P.I. last time, I immediately thought, boy, I could totally do Columbo. <laughs> I'm a Peter Falk man. <laughs> um, boy, uh, the the Black Sheep Squadron is a yeah. fantastic one. Uh, for me to nostalgically look back on. They should make that into a movie somehow. Oh, I bet you that, that somebody's working on that. That script's got to be floating around Hollywood. I don't know. That that show's pretty old, so if they were turning it into something... Yeah, but sometimes those things float around for a long time before anybody latches onto it. Okay, so his top five for dramas. Number five, Hell on Wheels. Number four, Vikings, which I've heard a lot of really yeah, good buzz around. I have two. Uh, I think they've done two seasons uh, and going for a third, I believe. Number three, Mad Men. Number two, Call to Glory. Never heard of that one. Not heard of that one. Number one, The Shield. <laughs> Here's the tough thing with The Shield. Michael this is Chiklis. This family podcast. Well, yeah, that's true. There's that. There's that. Um, although we're delving into something pretty deep with uh, Breaking Bad. Um, Michael Chiklis plays the character in The Shield. He's the main guy. I think he's won a couple of Emmys. The show did really well uh, 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 critically. I can only think of him as the the commish. (laughs) Which he was like in his 20s when he played that, and he was playing this you know middle-aged man. Uh, And so when he does this, I just... I can't, I can't bring the two of those people together. <laughs> I, I like how they're basically the like opposite sides of the same coin. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll move on. His science fiction list: Notables, Doctor Who, Lost in Space, Space 1999, the original Battlestar Galactica, Quantum Leap, Falling Skies, Defiance, Being Human, Warehouse 13, Heroes, Eureka. Torchwood, True Blood, Kolchak, The Night Stalker. <laughs> what in the world? No idea what that no, is. Either. Uh, Dollhouse and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I- I'm going to veto a few of those right, right <laughs> off the bat. I don't know. Kolchak, The Night Stalker sounds I- pretty good. I think I'm okay with that one, but uh, I'm not doing being human or Buffy. Uh, let's see. His, his top six list here. Number six, Farscape. Number five, UFO. Number four, Fringe. Number three, The X-Files. Number two, Game of Thrones. And number one, The Walking Dead. Comedy notables. (laughs) Hogan's Heroes. The Honeymooners. The Dean Martin Show. All in the Family. Happy Days. Taxi. Mark and Mindy, Barney Miller. <laughs> I totally remember Barney Miller. What was that guy's name? Barney Miller? The actor was his name Barney Miller? I don't know, but oh, it's just Barney but, Miller. Alf and Night Court. 
<laughs> his top seven list. Number seven, The Wonder Years, which floated in this weird area of, yes, comedy, but it was plenty of drama that went on with that okay. show. Number six, Married with Children. Number five, by the way, no, we're not covering Married with Children. <laughs> Number five, Family Ties. Number four, The Bob Newhart Show. Number three, The Odd Couple. Please say Silver Spoons is in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> number two, The Big Bang Theory. And number one, Chuck. Oh, okay. Chuck is a comedy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a weird one because it's action-y, it's science fiction-y. But it's ultimately a comedy. I laughed, no doubt. I did laugh. Okay. By the way, he mentioned in his list, I just want to say, Quantum Leap, that is one we're going to do at some point. Unless you end the podcast before we get to it. Uh, I really want to do that one. I point. say we choo- we do that one on a like pick and choose kind of thing. Because it's... I, I can't handle too much of it. I, here's what I want to do with Quantum Leap. During, whenever we do start Quantum Leap, I'm going to be introducing a new section, <laughs> a new, a new uh, much like Joey's Culture Corner, uh, and it's going to be a little bit of historical research on what was going on in the time period, in that time period that I think Ooh. made them choose that. Yes, and let's do four episodes per podcast. <laughs> I'll kill you off slowly. <laughs> that, may not take, that may not be as slow as you think. That could kill me off pretty quick. Right, so what I've actually started, I've got through, I think, halfway through the first season with my notes on my historical why, why research. Don't, why don't you pick shows that you think are pretty good? You mean episodes? Yeah, yeah. Because I I, I got to tell you, I don't really want to go back and revisit it. Okay. I There's a nostalgia factor to it. I liked Quantum Leap. I think it's a kind of a cool idea, but in the end, it's kind of terrible 80s-ish kind of stuff. You don't feel it's aged well? I I, I just think it's kind of one of those formulaic things. It's like I, I would never put you through Navy NCIS. <laughs> it's a terribly formulaic thing. Okay. I, I wouldn't want to put you through JAG either. Okay. But I really like those shows. So if... I I like the idea. I like the history aspect that you're trying to bring into it. That's really pretty cool. Uh, but the shows themselves, man, jab me in the eye with a <laughs> stick. Okay, sorry. We got off topic. Let's finish out John's email okay. here. Uh, so I hope that these lists weren't too exhaustive and that they spark a few memories of shows that you guys might not have thought of in a while. Hopefully you can find some good ones in the list, though I'm not sure how easy some of them are to access. Oh, and a few ideas for the folk fairy tales. The Dresden Files. The Hobbit. The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Okay. Do do those get to rise to folktale, do you think? Uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are definitely fairy tales. Hmm, okay, okay. Uh, Anyway, take care. John, uh, John, thanks very much for the email. I thought the list was incredibly exhaustive, so well done. You <laughs> succeeded in that. All right, let's skip on down here to Bob's email for there's the fairy tale section. He says number five, 
The Princess and the Pea. Okay. Which my high school did that as a a play once, and I remember thinking that's kind of dumb. <laughs> okay. Number four, the Emperor's New Clothes. Oh, I I didn't even think of that one. Number three, Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Number two, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Alternately titled, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. <laughs> no. No? No. Okay. Number one, The Ugly Duckling. Uh, Bob, thank you very much for your top five. Good list. It One of yours might make it uh, on my list. For this top five, by the way, we're moving on to Fishhead. Okay. Uh, he says, for this top five, how do you distinguish between fairy and folk tales and legends, fables, tall tales, ghost stories, myths, and even some nursery rhymes? You don't need to distinguish. Just pick five. Traditionally, folk tales refer to the oral versions, while fairy tales are written. But there are other qualifying factors as well as uh, as well depending on the person presenting the definition. Do they need to have a supernatural or a fantastical element? Where do you draw the line between a fairy tale and a fantasy story? For instance, would you include original stories without an oral history written by individuals such as Oscar Wilde, Hans Christian Andersen, and Rudyard Kipling in the 1800s as fairy tales? This is just too vast of a top five for me, and I had a really difficult time narrowing down to specific stories, especially without definitions. So in many instances, I have listed broader story groups or character types. You want to know what makes this so silly? I got this idea from From one of his suggestions that he (laughs) sent in to me. (laughs) Dean, what do you mean? This was totally on came off his list. Because <laughs> <laughs> he sent in like two emails, like this big long list of list? top five ideas. And that was one of them. And I thought, oh, that's intriguing. That was like a plan to... <laughs> Complain? <laughs> uh, that's the voice of uh, my friend John Madsen chiming in, who's just listening. He's not going to say anything. Yep, not, you're, you're not saying anything. He's just not here for five minutes. Anything. Yeah. Okay, let's continue on. Um, I also did not include Western mythological stories, Greek, Roman, Norse, etc., stories created by an individual post-1800 without a basis in pre-existing oral traditions, or more what I would label ghost stories, even if they are really old. This is starting out like a dissertation. (laughs) It honestly is. I feel like he's done research in this, and I've somehow insulted him by suggesting, oh, just just give me a folk of fairy tales there. I I think your friend John Madsen here has made an excellent point, that you've been set up, Pete, and you walked right into his trap. (laughs) Uh, Honorable mentions from my childhood. Some of the first I remember reading or hearing outside of Disney movies, or that I was really into when I was young. The Bremen Town Musicians, Fox Fables, or Aesop. Okay. The Three Ridiculous Wishes, where the husband and wife waste three wishes <laughs> on sausage, sticking the sausage on the nose, and getting the sausage off the nose. Paul Bunyan Stories, which was initiated by the Disney anima- uh, animated short. Robin Hood stories. 
Honorable mentions, as I have made more fairy tales, etc., these are just a few off of the top of my head. Again, too many to really mention them all. Every Man Tells, Ivan the Fool uh, from Russia, Jack, English and Appalachian, Hans, German, Nar uh, Nasreddin, Turkey, although most of these tales are more of a short joke. Baba Yaga Tales, Russian. Giant Stories, Irish, Welsh, English. Monkey King Stories, yeah, China. Chinese, yeah. Trickster Stories, Coy- uh, Coyote and Raven, Native American. Anasazi, uh, sorry, Anasi, African. Reynard the Fox, European. Jack, English. Saki, Brazilian. Hare, Native American and others. Monkeys, some Japanese. And Br'er Rabbit, Southern American. Hmm. Baron Munchausen Tales. Cinderella. While there are many enjoyable variations of this, for me, the Brothers Grimm original version, Ashun Putel, with her dead mother helping her instead of her fairy godmother. The three different balls held on different nights, and the stepsisters cutting parts of their feet yeah. to fit in the glass slipper as deeper symbolism and makes for a richer story. As this is already longer than I anticipated, and I can't decide on just a final top five, so I'm I'm only going to list my one favorite fairy tale, The Three Little Pigs. I have a couple dozen different versions of this highly adaptable tale ranging from traditional from various cultures to contemporary interpretations in print and video formats. Honestly, this is one of the few that I can rattle off really easily. You just sing the Green Jello song? No. <laughs> the Green Jello song? John knows what I'm talking about, right, John? But yeah, there's a... I, I do. I won't elaborate because no one can hear, so yes, I do know uh, P.S. Here is one of my favorite website related uh, to fairy tales. They pick different fairy tales and stories and then examine various versions of them. And there's a link. Uh, I won't read that. P.P.S. If you are into folk tales, myths, legends, etc. from around the world, I can't recommend the Hellboy and BPRD comic mm. books by Mike Mignola more highly. Although he does tend to include more tales from Britain than other regions. But with Hellboy's eventual link to Arthurian legend, this makes sense. Mignola does a great job of pulling disparate stories into a fascinating gothic, sometimes Lovecraftian-esque world. <laughs> I don't think he needed the esque there. I think Lovecraftian probably sides. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got it anyway. Uh, wow, that was... That was great. That was expansive, Dean. Thank you very much. I wish you would have gone on longer. <laughs> uh, Joey, why don't you give us your top okay. five fairy tale, or folk tale, or legend, or fable. Or myth. Yeah. Uh, number five is Stone Soup. Oh, that's awesome. That was on my short list. Oh, yeah? Yeah. My, my I'm glad thing- I didn't choose it now. My, my favorite thing about stone soup is in, in school when we would do it, we'd make stone soup in class and we would have it for lunch that day. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed that. 
Number four is Johnny Appleseed. Well, I, lo- I love the idea of this guy. You know what? He's just he's got an idea. He's one hundred percent dedicated to it. He's just going to go out and do it. Some crazy transient throwing apple seeds all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number three is from 1001 Nights. It's the story of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. Out of the 1001 Nights, that's the one I remember the most distinctly. Like, I know Sinbad's in there somewhere and things like that, but the story of Alibaba, I could recount, I think, off the top of my head at whim. Right on. Actually, I think I have a version of that somewhere that I tried reading once and then gave up on. That yeah. sounds like me, actually, though. Uh, number two is the myth of Sisyphus. This is the guy in uh, ancient Greek mythology who was oh, condemned to right. push the rock up the hill, and as soon as he got it up there, it would roll back down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've often felt my life is a little <laughs> like the myth of Sisyphus. Uh, number one fairy tale, and now you'll you'll understand my answer to your earlier question, is The Lord of the Rings, which... J.R.R. Tolkien fully intended to be interpreted as a fairy tale from an alternate history or an alternate reality of Earth. This was supposed to be a fairy tale, and that's how we are supposed to consume it and treat it. Okay. All right. Uh, Good list. Very good list. Uh, I I came up with a number of them. Few have been mentioned already. Uh, We'll start with uh, number five, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Just because it's a classic story, you know, teaches you not to joke around about serious things because sometime the wolf may actually be there and no one's going to come and rescue you. Number four, Ichabod Crane or the Headless Horseman. Okay. The the Disney little movie short really captured my imagination around this fictitious uh, thing. I was fixated on the story of who this horseman was and who Ichabod Crane was and why couldn't he just get with the the girl. Um, I, it's a super fun. So did you ever watch the TV show Sleepy Hollow? At no. All? Okay. No. I did see the movie with Johnny Depp, though. Okay. Uh, was that I'm, any good? I can't remember. I if enjoyed I it. Or not. Uh, I don't remember it being spectacular, but I remember feeling in, entertained. Okay. I think uh, my friend John Madsen might have something to say about that one. He's so-so. He's so-so. Number three, John Henry. Okay. This the is a uh, driving man. Yeah, pretty much an American sort of thing. Uh, but the idea that uh, uh, th- this black man who was so powerful and strong, and he, he beats the machine and then dies... Um, which in the end uh, is... Tells you not to fight the machines. <laughs> there you go. If we're one that's one it. more robot that, that's, a, that's exactly it. That's, the, that's the, uh, the moral of the story. Number two, King Midas. Okay. Uh, the man with the golden touch. Um, don't remember a lot of the exact details, but this, this king, anything he touches turns the gold, including food. And uh, I think he manages to get this wish, but it's sort of like, uh, okay, well, anything you touch turns to gold? Fine. Mr. Greedy. Good luck eating. Yeah. And I think he eventually dies, probably. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, I read a a version of this that I still remember to this day, The Chocolate Touch. It was basically the story of King Midas retold, but instead it was a little boy. Everything he he touched turned to chocolate. That sounds fantastic. 
Yeah, until like he gets to the point in in the book where like his I remember vaguely remember I think his his tongue starts to break out because of all the the over being over overstimulated all the time from everything because like he goes to the drinking fountain at school and he turns it on turns on the water and as soon as it touches his lips it turns to chocolate and he said he can't drink water it's just like drinking chocolate and pretty soon he, even that gets old ha huh. okay my number one Peter and the Wolf <laughs> as you can tell for obvious reasons you just uh, like wolves. I yes, I love Russian stories. Uh, no, this is—I mean, it's got my name in it. So as a little kid, I really liked this. There's a story about Peter, um, and he's kind of the hero. Uh, but uh, I think it was Disney who put together a little uh, a- animated short as well, telling the story of you know going off to fight and capture the the wolf. Um, maybe is that in Fantasia? I don't think it is. Definitely has some uh, the, a music yeah, aspect to say, it. I know that was I don't, a big, I don't know big if that music, part of it. I can't remember if that music was some other piece of music or if it was composed specifically for that movie, but it's definitely a, an iconic piece of music. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, my list. Uh, Joey's Culture Corner. Okay, Joey's Culture Corner this week is the film The Man of La Mancha, starring Peter O'Toole and Sophia Loren. Oh, yeah. Uh, this this is coming up because here in about three weeks, I will be taking my nine-year-old daughter to her first actual musical. Mm-hmm. We're going to go see The Man of La Mancha being done by a local theater company here in Utah. And super excited about it uh, to, to actually start sharing. My, my daughter has already listened to musicals. Uh, I took her through selected items from Les Miserables, and she listens to Joseph all the time. She likes... Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. She likes um, The Sound of Music. She listened to any of the songs from this one? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, and what I was thinking is that I will probably... Well, I'm trying to find this on DVD right now to share with her so that before we go to the movie, or before we go to the play, I'd like her to have the opportunity to ask me what's going on in some of the scenes so that she can follow the story a little bit better. Do you think she needs that? I do think she does because I think that there are full-grown adults sometimes who... In the story of the Man of La Mancha, let me let me give a little bit of background about the movie. You have a framing device, which is Miguel de Cervantes being arrested by the Spanish Inquisition and being thrown in jail. While he's in jail, he's put on trial by the prisoners in the jail. And the accusation, the charge that is levied against him is trying to introduce hope into the world. Hmm. Spoiler alert. Uh, So this is just in the first few minutes. Oh, dang. And and then as his defense, Uh he puts on the play using the using the the prisoners there in jail with him. He and and he has what he has with him is a manuscript and the manuscript is the man of La Mancha. And so he puts on the play, the man of La Mancha. Thank you. Well, I, I don't know if the I don't know if. It was supposed to be Don Quixote or if it's supposed to be the play. I think there's a meta thing that the writer of The Man of La Mancha was trying to play there. Well, yeah. But, I mean, the literal book... Would have been Don Quixote, yes. But I think it's supposed to be the play that we're seeing. Anyway, that that John raises an excellent point. The book is Don Quixote. Uh, so we see the actors that are up there on stage playing actors in a play. 
So there's a there's a level of meta that goes on there that I I want her to be able to understand because I know my wife got lost saying, wait, now is that person a prisoner right now or is that person inside the play that Miguel de Cervantes is doing as his defense? Uh, anyway, this this movie is for me a very fantastic version of this musical. I love Peter is O'Toole. It, is it musical based? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Peter O'Toole does a, a, a great job. He's <laughs> he's amazing in this movie. The story of Don Quixote is one that I've always really loved. The, you know, I'm no Don Quixote. I'm too much of a coward to be a Don Quixote. But the idea that there are people like that out there in the world pleases me. Mm. I I uh, I've never watched the musical. I've never watched the movies. Um, I know of the story because I've read, uh, you know, graphic versions of them, sure. you know. Um, I matter of fact, the only song I'm aware of is The Impossible Dream. Yes. Are there others in there that I might recognize if I knew what their names were? Uh, tunes Dulcinea were? is one that you hear sometimes on like easy listening stations. No. Okay. No. That, that, so that's... Maybe if you sang some nope, of it, that's Joey. that's not a thing that's going to happen. I think we'd all like to hear. But, uh, the, the premise is that uh, there, there's a character in the play within the play who is Aldonza the Whore. But when Don Quixote meets her, he chooses to believe that she is the, the great lady of high virtue, Dulcinea. Mm-hmm. And so he sings a song to her about all the things that he believes she is. So are you prepared to explain what whores are to your daughter? Uh, you know, I, I think I'm just going to gloss over that. Maybe just say it, it's a girl that kisses every boy she sees. Uh, okay, well, good call. We, we actually had a very interesting version of that conversation this morning as I dropped her off for school when she asked me, Dad, what is an adulteress? And I was like, what? Where? <laughs> Where are you getting this? <laughs> it was just in some book that she was reading, and I had to explain about the 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 vow between a man and a wife. And I and I erred at first. I said, "Well, you know, when a man and a woman get married, they promise to only love each other." Dad, does that mean you don't love me, or that you broke your vow to mom? <laughs> like, um, love. Let's see. Let me explain the different kinds of love here, sweetheart. <laughs> I say, well, you know, there's the love between a, a man and his wife, and it's where they like to kiss each other a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's as much as need be said to a nine-year-old girl. What? You're so hot to trot to dispel the myth about uh, Santa Claus, but you don't dare want to cross the line of adultery with your daughter. <laughs> What's going on? A double standard, Joey. <laughs> To be clear, at no point did I ever consider crossing the line of adultery with my daughter. <laughs> good <laughs> it was call. Never a thing that good was going to happen. Yeah, fair. Yeah, good call. Uh, okay, well, I am assuming you give this thumb a thumb yes, up. Absolutely. John gives it two thumbs up. Mostly, mostly the musical because I love the music and I love the story. Um, but I think. Dee Dee had a point with being the the movie I think is actually very confusing the play works a lot better because you see him go into prison and put forth a play to the people in the movie the same thing happens he goes into prison he puts on a play and then through the magic of cinema he's suddenly out of the prison <laughs> and we see what the people 
in the prison are imagining he's putting on and so there's like a literal windmill there yeah and like he's literally writing in the countryside and i prefer the play all being contained in the same spot and kind of where our imaginations are taken away with the prisoners okay great okay um yeah thanks john for uh, joining us for that little bit and not saying anything I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. We just got back from dinner. Took a break because I wanted to eat. We went to uh, our, our favorite restaurant, Ming's Garden, and it was fantastic as always. New location. The man added sushi to the yeah. menu. He brought us out a complimentary dish. Something. I don't remember what <laughs> it was. Sushi it, roll. It had stuff on it. I don't care for fish. If there's one thing people know about me, it's that I don't like eating fish. Or mushrooms. Or fish who've eaten mushrooms. <laughs> Maybe that's a thing. Who knows? Um, but still, I don't like it. It's a testament to how much I love this man and his cooking that I did not want to insult him Yep. By leaving the rolls on the plate that I choked them down. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say they tasted bad, because I'm sure they tasted just fine to people who appreciate sushi. They tasted in a manner that I did not care for. Okay. And, uh, but there was certainly no, there was no gag reflex happening. There wasn't anything that I, uh, you know, couldn't manage to choke down. Um, to, to, you know, just make sure he knew I was grateful for it. Anyway, we're done. I overate. Joey oddly didn't overeat. (laughs) And if there's, if there's two of us who is going to overeat, I'm just saying a, a simple bystander looking at the two of us, one would probably choose you to be the one who is overeaten than me. It's not fair. It's not fair. But still, if one is making generalities, that's going to be what they're going to think. I'm just saying that. Well, I am dark-haired. Yes. That <laughs> clearly puts you in the overeaters club. Uh, anyway, because we ate, it gave a certain someone time to send in their email. Brainy, I checked this time, and we've got your email. So I'm going to read this. This is going to be his top five and then his brainy snook of darkness. Okay. So we get a double dose of uh, brainy. Okay. Um, I'm out of breath from all of the food that I ate. It's, it's pushing on your diaphragm. Awkward. Okay. We'll carry on. Sup, dudes. Great idea for a top five this lease this week. How does one narrow it down? Well, I took a few liberties. Although fairy tales have a common setting, folk tales are usually just stories that may have some moral and somehow cascade through a culture. I tried to find old stories that were retold through a modern medium, so many choices. Like where Hinduism has its mega epic, the Ramayana, where on a previous nook we highlighted the crazy giant spider monsters that resemble the shadow of Babi 5. 
We also have the wacky rope-faced demon dude that Gilgamesh battles. And our old buddy Gilgamesh is going to usher us into number five, the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu. As recounted over a campfire by Jean-Luc Picard <laughs> in TNG's Darmok by Joe Minoski. Here we have a knight acting in a TV drama that is employing an ancient story about friendship and adversity to retell the tale with a brilliant insight toward the limitations and power of language. The ancient message rings true. This choice should be number one, but I thought it first. Uh, but I thought of it first, and I'm just going to keep going. Number four, Tormund, Giant Spain. There is a great character in G.R.R. Martin's Ice Fire series by the name of Tormund Giantsbane. He is a crazy wildling who lives in the snowy north. In an infamous story within the story, we learn how Tormund was named because of the giants he fought to escape the mountains during a blizzard. He tells Jon Snow of how he really got the name. One night, he consumed a considerable amount of spirits as he wandered into the snowy wilderness to visit his lady friend. He got considerably drunker, lost, and spent a few nights in a cave with a female bear. There was a huge blizzard, so he was shacked up with her in their cave for a while. He said they really connected. <laughs> the telling of the story by R.R. is fantastically colorful. Oh yeah, honorable mention goes to Wissakadejik. Uh, Wissakadejak. Alright, Pete, you can call him Whiskey Jack. <laughs> that is one of his hundreds of names. His name is so crazy because the Cree tribe did not originally have a written language. Whiskey Jack is a hero with a thousand stories. He is also a great character in American Gods, which leads us to... Ah, ah, ah. Number three, uh, uh, Nancy, the super clever spider from, uh, from the African folklore. As was mentioned in our coverage of American Gods, the rehashing of this old yarn by the indelible Mr. Nancy cannot be fully recounted on the podcast due to repeated mentionings of the tiger testicles. Number two, Q. What, just Q? Yes, all 12 of his Trek stories. He is the ultimate trickster, a, caric uh, a character trope that is ubiquitous in every country's folk stories, from Loki to the Joker to Wild E. Coyote. We see the trickster archetype emerge in fiction all the time. The idea of an omnipotent being that is bored is endlessly intriguing to me. And in my eyes, no single actor or character does the trickster better than John Delancey as Q. Surprisingly, Voyager has a great Q episode called Death Wish, where another Q wants to commit suicide, but Q does not want Q to do that. <laughs> By the way, I've seen that episode. Um, I didn't think it was that great. Mm, sorry. I never thought of uh, Wiley Coyote as omnipotent before. <laughs> I would I would have used probably impotent. 
<laughs> Good. I like that. Uh, number one, babe. For reals. The a pig? A pig that thinks it's a dog. A story about a being that aspires to transcend its lot in life on the farm as future bacon by becoming a sheep pig. But the pig's got to learn to be nice to those sheep to get the ancient password that makes one the sheep master. It's the best story ever. I dare you to watch the triumphant ending without being moved. I've not seen Babe. (laughs) I quote the line, that'll do, pig, all the time, but I've never actually watched it. So maybe I'm horribly misusing it. No, you're using it just fine. Here's the other passphrase to get people to think you've seen Babe. give this away. Ba-ram-you. That's that's the secret password to make sheep do whatever you want them to. Okay. For Brainy's Nook of Darkness this week, I wanted to pose a brief question about spoilers. As we finally cross the long and sordid finish line of BSG, I think it's appropriate to examine how the element of surprise affects our viewing experience. In BSG, a minor surprise ending that really worked was Cavill's hilarious farewell. <laughs> It was amazingly unexpected, with great timing and irony. I'm glad that no one spoiled that for me. Now, if someone ruined who the final five were, I would not have cared as much, because their whole storyline was ham-fisted during the mid-season break writer's retreat. In short, knowing that whomever was whatever did not enhance the rewatch, because neither the actors nor the writers had any inkling of the Cylon-ness during the first three seasons. So maybe a spoiler is only dangerous in a really well-crafted plot. In another example, Sherlock, spoilers are less effective. Knowing how Sherlock landed the roof jump would not really make a difference in the story. And I maintain that even if someone said that Moriarty would eventually eat his gun to make Sherlock Holmes jump, The execution of the storytelling that leads up to those moments is so poignant that it could be argued that the foreknowledge could allow for a deeper appreciation for an an overall delivery of the plot. And one more thing about Sherlock is that, of course, it is a recreation. As a result, a lot of the entertainment we get is from the irony of delivering the old story in a new way. The Ice Fire books demonstrate this quality uniquely. George R. R. Martin obviously is a prolific author and a master of his craft. One of his specialties is his tendency to deliver the answer, followed by the clues, and then finally we get the reveal of the actual mystery. It's hard to elaborate, but many of the answers to the series as a whole are in the first book. The reader, of course, is not aware of these until subsequent read-throughs. The the adaption of the TV show is another great example of a job well done in entertaining an audience of book readers by walking the line of expectation and surprise. Isn't art art is the delivery of an imitation that is conducted with creativity? Like when John Lennon wrote Help while trying to sound like Ray Charles. In this case, I like it better even knowing what will happen. 
So when Shakespeare ended every tragedy with the tragic hero dying, does that surprise anyone? No. The stuff that sets him apart is the arrival upon that inevitable outcome. After all, the OG dramatists, such as Sophocles and Friends, all use stories where the outcome is already known to the audience. There's this dude named Oedipus, and guess what's going to happen to him? We all know. You can't spoil Oedipus Rex, but it's still considered good. So maybe we seldom are given a show like Breaking Bad that delivers on another level. But I think that in a lot of cases where I was spoiled about something, it didn't ruin the experience for me if the thing was well-crafted. Brainy out. Of course you're going to like that. Yeah. It's an argument for spoilers. <laughs> um, I I tend to agree to with him a bit, but I I have to slightly disagree. There is this feeling, this flavor, this ambiance that comes from discovering something as it's presented, uh, as the um writer as the author as uh you know the actor is presenting the story they're trying to unfold it in a way you know i i think that it, um uh, who uh, straczynski would be annoyed by people you know just kind of blurting out oh just tell us what happens at the end <laughs> it's not the point of what happens at the end oh cost totally dies <laughs> <laughs> it's the the point is the journey along the way that turns him into what happens at the end that if you just go to the end you miss the really good stuff and i prefer a first pass at that type of a thing that's how i like it and so that's why i would argue for you know respect the spoilers but I, I do very much like what Brainy had to say. Very thoughtful, uh, very insightful way of describing it. I, I don't think there's there's anything wrong with people who want to remain spoiler-free being spoiler-free. However, the, there's this cultural stigma that some people try to apply on people who want spoilers, and I think that's ridiculous. Just leave me alone and let me be spoiled. It's what I enjoy. No, it's not what you enjoy. You just don't like all of the anticipation and anxiety that builds up in you because you're not sure what's going to happen in the end. What you tell me? Yes. That, that, <laughs> I think that's a different way of saying it's how I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to episodes. We are going to cover episode two of Sherlock Holmes, uh, BBC. Sherlock. Sherlock. Season three. What is with you that you cannot remember the name of the show? It's just... Sherlock. I don't know. It's not written anywhere. Uh, Joey, do you have the summary? John and Mary are getting married, and Sherlock is the best man. This should go really well. <sighs> okay, so you did you read the email that I sent out? Yes, I did. I took a little bit of flack. We'll hear about it from, from some listeners? of the people who, okay. who wrote in. Good. I'm glad they gave you flack about it, because I also mentally gave you flack about it. Look, I'm just saying it's not as good. When compared to all of the other things that are out there, when I watched this the first time, it was sort of like, 
oh, I was entertained, but this other stuff was really so much better. The mystery part, and, and we'll get into this later, the mystery part of the episode I thought was a bomb, kind of a stinker in this one. Oh, terrible. But again, it's we're 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 seeing that this season is more about the relationships between Sherlock, Mary, and Watson than it is about the mysteries. I agree that good storytelling is about the relationships and building the characters. Absolutely agree, but there has to yeah, there's you, you can't have them dancing around through pig crap and expect me to think, <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. Anyway, let's begin. Okay. Um, there are this string of robberies that are happening. Not, I can't figure out how these people are managing to do this. Eventually, um, what's his bucket says? Lestrade. We're, I've got to get somebody on the inside. Whatever that means, I don't know. Anyway, they finally got these people captured. They're going to be able to get in and get them. They're on their way inside the bank to go arrest them. And he gets uh, a text message. A series of text messages. Yes. Very serious. Come help right away. Need you. Something along those lines. And he gets this and he's like, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, yeah, you go ahead and you arrest these people. And she's like, why? This is your caller. You did all this work. I I don't care. I've got to go. And he races off and he's calling people. Whatever you do, every available unit you've got, let's head to this area. I need maximum backup at Baker Street now. Um, and it ends up being, you know, Sherlock is fine. There's nothing wrong. And he's just sitting there contemplating. Having to write the best man's speech. <laughs> and his, you know, as he starts to notice all of these things that are, you know, the police sirens, the helicopters, um, is, I, I hope it didn't put you in any trouble. You know, I hope this uh, <laughs> didn't inconvenience you. Um, yeah, listen, I'm just saying, you got to be specific when you're sending out text messages. Okay. Um, well, I got to tell you, not if, if you're I get a sociopath, a, if I get a text message from, you know, a series of messages like that from you, I think I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing to get a hold of you. Granted, it, I suppose Lestrade should have <laughs> called him back yeah. or texted him to say, what's wrong? Maybe that could have alleviated it. <laughs> Still... It's funny. Again, yeah. It's it's just the, the sociopathic nature of Sherlock. Um, so, have you ever written a best man speech? No. Good. Neither have I. Um, but I was a best man once. Okay. I think. Sort of. I had a best man once. My brother, who got married, I was one of his groomsmen. I don't think I was actually his best man. But my mom... So, you know, the the uh, the, the wedding happened... Uh, went out as a big group to this restaurant afterwards and you know my mom tried to get me oh you need to get up and give a toast and a little speech here i'm like no no i'm not doing that um and she tried you know guilting me into it shaming me into it that's not gonna work at that point in my life i was well solid in what i was and wasn't gonna do what what point of your life was this 17 oh okay Um, i I was i was picturing 
little 12 year old Peter saying, no, mom, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that would mean 14 year old brother was getting married. That's going to be awkward. I don't know how old your brother is. <laughs> I like the idea that uh, my brother is having to get married at 14 now. Besides, I think there are some parts of the United States where that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, anyway, I utterly refused to do that. I think I still would. I I don't think I... It depends on the crowd that I'm giving this to, but definitely springing it on me like right there in the restaurant definitely is not going to be the thing that's going to make me do it. I would be willing to give your best man speech as long as you understand that it's going to go like all the really awkward parts of Sherlock's speech without the touching parts. Right, right. So if you're okay with that, I'll do it. Here's the thing. My (laughs) gift to you is that I would never ask you to do such a thing. That's an excellent gift. (laughs) Uh, I, I know what it's like for you to speak in public. Matter of fact, when Sherlock starts doing his thing, I said, oh my gosh, that's Joey. Because <laughs> I watched you practice for that uh, that speech that you gave for our listeners. No more than five minutes is all he had to do. And the nervousness that was exuding out of your body, the shifting around, the looking down at the cue cards... That was exactly what Sherlock was doing. <laughs> it, did, it did have some eerie similarity. So my highest compliment to you is that you are just as good as Sherlock. There you go. At giving speeches. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore ignore the last half of that sentence. Um, I wrote. I don't know why I wrote this comment. What's big about getting married? I have no idea. Well, Sherlock and Mrs. Hudson are having this conversation. Oh. Where she's like, it changes It changes. Everything. Right, right. Okay, maybe that's why I, I put that in there. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Um, congratulations. I agree uh, that it changes things. Okay. We'll move on. Uh, I like the in that con- same conversation where uh, Mrs. Hudson... She talks about how she brings his tea every morning. He's like, oh, that's you? She said, what, did you think it just appeared out of, out of nowhere? And he says, I don't know. It was just there. And she says, your mother has a lot to answer for. And his response is, I know. I have a list. Mycroft has an entire file. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, my next note is I noticed or we see this person who's getting dressed one-handed. Yes. Now, I meant to this morning, so I watched this last night, I meant to this morning get dressed one-handed. <laughs> I, so as I was sitting there watching, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I should totally do this, and then I'll be able to report on the podcast like how easy or hard it was. And granted, uh, I didn't have a dress uniform to try and put on. Uh, you know, it's just shorts, socks, shoes. Oh, man, how would you tie your shoes? You'd have to get uh, 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 the Velcro shoes. Or you could just you could do like I do, and you leave your shoes tied and you just slip them on and off. No way. That would never work for me. Oh. I, I couldn't do that because then they wouldn't be tight enough so that if you ever had to start running, seriously running, your shoes could fly off. <laughs> I can't say I've ever had my shoes fly off. That's a real fear I have. Okay. I got to be prepared for this. Uh, I think I could have just woken up John and just said, hey, hey, can you tie my shoes for me? Oh, that would have been hilarious if I'd have done that to John. <laughs> oh, man. John, holding, if you're listening holding, holding to this. your arm just like that. Too? Let, let me know if you would have been willing to tie my shoe <laughs> 
at 7.45 in the morning. Now, this would have been about 8 o'clock if, if you would have been willing to do that. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Um, okay. Thank goodness I don't have to do that. Sherlock bullies an old friend. <laughs> an ex-boyfriend. An, uh-huh. Of Mary's. And... Uh, he so they're in the the line greeting people at the reception and he's very standoffish <laughs> and we come to find out why is Sherlock threatened him has all of this weird evidence on him <laughs> that he's amassed <laughs> and uh, he uh, he's he's I, I like that he he's not only the best man but he's already started planning John and Mary's social interactions with all of their <laughs> friends for the foreseeable future. Like he says, yeah, no more, uh, no more visits with Mary. I think just supervised ones with John there. No more than three times a year. Like <laughs> he's got their whole lives plotted out for them now. Oh, at the uh, after that, the uh, the little kid comes up that uh, was supposed to be a ring bearer or something, and he was trying to talk him into doing this, and he's like. Can I look at uh, some pictures? And, you know, he shows him all of these <laughs> gruesome <laughs> yep. pictures. And uh, that works for the kid. And the kid loves Sherlock now. Uh, let's see here. Wedding reception. So that's happening. Major Shalto shows up. Yeah. He's this guy who's a recluse. Really, at, you know, he like uh, um, uh, John Watson really looks up to him. Uh, very good. A, a close friendship clearly exists between them. Um, and that's all we know at I think this existed point. is probably better because they seem kind of stiff to each other here at the beginning where it's like John hasn't seen the guy in a while. He still clearly cares very much for this man, but he's not sure where this guy is at in his life right now. What would you th- expect him to do at his own wedding reception to indicate that there was a much closer relationship. I don't it's know. clear by the evidence that we have of that John. Mayor Sh- uh, Major Shalto is a complete recluse, is completely hidden from society, does not come out for anything, but he comes out for the wedding. And that's, yes. what I, that's all I'm trying to say is it seems like this is recently a relationship that they have not interacted at all. I think we have evidence of that in the episode. Right. That doesn't mean that they're not still close and that there's a close bond. Okay. For example, you and I are both recluses. We don't, let's say, life shifts us apart. I think that we stick, come back together. There might still be something there between us. Okay. This is getting weird now. <laughs> there's nothing between Joey and I. There's a podcast between us. <laughs> Quote... I heard that silence from Sherlock as he's having the conversation with, with Mycroft, Mycroft. Uh, getting uh, uh, grilled over the speech that he has to give. And Mycroft is poking him with the, the proverbial emotional stick. Yep. Uh, great line. The- I heard that silence. <laughs> they also did a really cool thing with the camera here as Sherlock is pacing back and forth in front of these glass partitions. Every time he passes past a, a shift in the foreground, they actually shift over to Mycroft and the camera keeps moving at the same pace so that when we cut back sure, to, sure. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Sherlock, he's still moving and he's still framed nicely. I, I, I just thought it was a cool thing that they did because then we get this sense of motion in Mike. When, when, when we're looking at Mycroft, Mycroft, we're still seeing 
feeling that same sense of motion of nervous energy that's bubbling up inside of Sherlock. But I heard you say there was Minecraft. And wouldn't <laughs> it be great if his name was Minecraft Holmes? <laughs> I said Minecraft. I was going more for like a Laura Croft thing. <laughs> I'm just saying I heard Minecraft probably from the story you told me earlier. Uh, okay, so Sherlock, bad at speeches. Um, he's reading the telegrams. I guess that's a British thing. Uh, Bob, if that's something you do or did at your wedding, I'd be curious to know. Um, the scene where Sher- where John actually asks Sherlock to be his best man. Uh, you know, it's clear that, that Watson is a stoic. I mean, it's very difficult for him to express emotion. And Sherlock is just kind of... I wasn't sure if he was in, being intentionally obtuse or if that was just the gen, the the genuine obtuseness of Sherlock. Probably that one, I think. But as, you know, he's like, you know, I I need to ask my best friend to be the best man. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Mike, he is a good guy, but <laughs> no, he's not my best friend, Sherlock. I want, I want the two people I love most to be there. You know, Mary and, you know, <laughs> you, Sherlock. <laughs> It's just so beautifully done between these two characters. As he's describing the story, though, uh, in in his speech, he says all of these wonderful things, and then the comment is, and then I realized I said none of those things aloud. (laughs) (laughs) Because you get this nice confused look from Watson as he's like, you didn't say anything. (laughs) Uh, Quote, did I do it wrong? I don't remember what okay. that's from. So Help me this, out. this is where Sherlock basically in his speech, he offends. He starts off by offending everyone. Oh, my but then, gosh. Then he yes. brings it back around yeah. to a great commentary on the relationship between him and John. And it's awesome. Yeah. And, and John, John turns to Mary and says, if I try to hug him, stop me. <laughs> and she says, I'm not going to do that or something. I can't remember exactly. What she's like, no, it, you know, it's going to happen. And that's when... You know, when John stands up to hug Sherlock, he's like, did I do it wrong? He's like, no, no, you did just fine. Yeah, because everybody is crying out in the audience. And he's like, what? What's going on? What? Did I do it wrong? That's right. That's what that comment was about. Okay. Now, we have, as part of the speech, a recitation. Of some of their cases. Yes, which I would all I would love to hear and see all of those yes, cases. I would watch all of those, especially would... the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great to have someone take that that cliche and turn it into a literal interpretation. Is that he's like, and of course we won't mention the elephant in the room. <laughs> They're reacting to there being an actual elephant. Great stuff. <sighs> I wish the episode was that. It was a, a telling of all of these different stories. A smorgasbord, if you will. Uh, folded napkins. Yeah. So Sherlock is, he's there, he's saying, okay, which which of these types of serviettes would you like? What, you know, oh, I think I like this. They, Mary and John leave the room. John walks back in. And all of a sudden, there are a dozen folded napkins. And Sherlock's comment is, that just sort of happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The obsessiveness that is Sherlock is fantastic when put in a normal scenario yeah. like this where it's clear he wants to perform and deliver f- for his friend John and it's just so weird. 
so bizarre. Uh, I also like in this in this scene here how we see Mary effectively manipulating both John and Sherlock. Oh, fantastically! She, yeah, she's just a master at this already. Saying, "Oh well, you need to take John out and let him run. You need to take Sherlock out and let him run." Like they're both dogs that have been on a leash too long. <laughs> uh, probably to give her a little bit of a break. I'm yes. sure. Yeah. And, and so as they're as they're investigating this case. They're sitting on a park bench, uh-huh. and I can't remember what Sherlock <laughs> is asking about, but Watson's like, why Why are we talking about this? And Sherlock's comment is, well, I was just just trying to chat like people do. Yeah, I won't be trying that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, I like that uh, he refers to him as his former commanding officer. Oh, yeah. Um, as the and that's what, <laughs> Holmes picks up on that, or excuse me, uh, Watson picks up on that. He's like, "Wait, what?" As though I have a current commanding officer. <laughs> like, we all know where Sherlock's head is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this guy Bainbridge, he had sent in an email saying, "Hey, I think someone is following me. Someone's watching me, stalking me." Is the yeah, and I I don't know what's going on, and so. Sherlock sneaks into this military. That was the dumbest part of the whole episode. <laughs> and there were two dumb things in this episode. For that to be the winner, it had to be pretty dumb. Um, uh, so he's in, and then we uh, Watson is trying to talk to this guy to say, "Hey, let me give me access to this guy. We need to talk to him. Here's my credentials, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And then we find out, oh my gosh, he's dead. He's bleeding in a, he's, you know, there's blood all in the shower and it's reported he's dead. So they go running in there and John Watson's like, oh my gosh, he's not actually dead, which there was a little bit of fun, you know, with the military officers saying, who are these people? How did they get in here? And, uh, you know, clearly you're the murderer and Sherlock's like, no, I'm not wet. It's a locked thing. I couldn't have possibly got in. Where's my weapon? How could this possibly be? Um, and Watson does save him. But they're absolutely baffled as to how this happened. Uh, you know, he is in this locked shower and suddenly he is bleeding out and almost dies. How did the murderer get in there? There was no way for that to have happened. And Sherlock tries to, you know, he opens it up for Q&A, as he calls it, to, to allow people to talk about, uh, you know, give their ideas. Um, and... <laughs> The the person that uh, Molly is now Tom. dating is yeah. that his name Tom um, is he's like oh well, this is like oh well you you're saying something speak up you know of course because uh, um, Lestrade does not get it correct <laughs> and he's like oh I think it's it's a meat dagger Molly's <laughs> 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 like sit down. <laughs> The idea of a bone and meat dagger, <laughs> obviously, I'm assuming frozen so it could hold its shape. <laughs> see, I don't think he was too far off of a perfectly legitimate possibility. An ice dagger that oh, sure. melted an, in the hot water of the shower. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded, yeah. I, I My mind went to that the first time I watched it yeah. as well. It's like... Ice dagger, you know, that's an easy way of doing it. It reminded me of this show. Um, who was the guy who played uh, Mr. Cunningham in Happy Days? 
I know the actor you're talking about. Anyway, he did this show on CBS. Um, I want to say the early '90s, maybe maybe late '80s, where he played this. He was a father. He was a a, a priest in the Catholic Church, um, and he had this nun who helped him. And they went and solved murder cases. <laughs> When I say it out loud, it really just sounds ridiculous. <laughs> How in the world did this get by? But I think it went on for a couple of seasons at least. <laughs> anyway, I want to say that the plot of one of their episodes uh, was this guy who... Tom Bosley. Okay. I want to say that the one of the plots of this, of one of their episodes, was this guy who gets murdered. He's out on a ledge. And then he falls to his death. But people are like, well, no, that doesn't really make sense. It's not a suicide. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, he wasn't, you know, there, there's no bullet hole. It looks like he shot, but, you know, there, there's no anything here. And then they slow things down and they're like, oh, it, the way his body moves. And they, they go on, you know, trying to find this killer. And they find this person who had made ice bullets <laughs> so that it would melt. It would melt. There would be no bullet. Interesting. I wonder if that would actually work. I don't think that it would. I don't think so either. I think the friction of the moving bullet would probably melt before it did much damage to you. And it's got a shatter inside the thing. I mean, that's a controlled explosion. That's a good point. I just don't think that it would hold up inside. Because, I mean, it, as long Myth, as it's still... Busters not done this one? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> See, they should. seems like something we should get them on. Anyway, uh, that's where my mind went during uh, during that thing. Uh, anyway, it wasn't an ice dagger. wasn't a meat dagger. We don't know. It was a dagger dagger. Sherlock <laughs> doesn't know. He has no idea how it happened. Can I just, before we get too far out of this, I want to mention one thing about this scene that bothered me, which is that the showers didn't have a drain, apparently, in the individual showers, because all the water and blood was streaming out from underneath the shower into the common space of the bathroom. It's a weird design with the com- one common drain, but the individual shower lockers. Yeah, you know, I wonder if maybe, maybe it uh, was the fact that he was leaning up against okay. the shower door. And so that was, you know, causing portions of the water to stream out because it wasn't a flood a torrent of it true it wasn't it it, but it certainly i mean there was water and blood coming out from underneath um okay let's uh let's see here drinking in bars with a graduated cylinder uh i like the fact that uh, sherlock is planning out this night based on chemistry and what's going to keep us going for the longest but yeah that that doesn't turn out well uh (laughs) after two hours and they end up back in their apartment uh, playing Guess Who, or 20 Questions, if you will, uh, while they're drunk. That's a hilarious scene. It is absolutely hilarious. The best thing about it, I thought, was that Watson has Sherlock be Sherlock Holmes, so he can say all these things about Sherlock Holmes. It's great. Yeah, people find you annoying. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, a case shows up <laughs> while they're drunk. And so they decide, yeah, okay, yes, let's go let's and do, do this. this. Yeah. And they say, he's like, the game is something. 
on. Yeah, it's on. The game is on, uh, which is not what Sherlock would say historically. The game is afoot. Yeah. The game is afoot. Not the game is on. Uh, so they've got... Uh, they, they go to the apartment. <laughs> the, oh. the text in Sherlock's deductions. Oh, wow. <laughs> the side effect of being drunk. I just wanted to call it some of the specifics. The speaker is labeled as a high-tech thing. Uh-huh. Uh, the skull is listed as deaded. <laughs> There's a chair city thing uh-huh. and a wooden thingamabob. <laughs> oh, I thought that was great. Uh, so they are in and out of consciousness as they're trying to solve this case. And there's a woman who's saying, I had dinner with a dead man. He's a ghost. I have no idea who this is. Here's, you know, I've met other people who have had a similar experience. And he, you know... They're trying to solve this case, and the landlord is not happy with them. <laughs> um, and eventually, Sherlock barfs onto the carpet. <laughs> uh, and they are summarily arrested, yeah. and uh, Lestrade has to break them out the next day. I don't think he broke them out. Released them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> broke them out has a whole different connotation. Uh, so they have hangovers the next day, and Lestrade shouts. <laughs> I've never done that to someone. I desperately would like to be able to do that to someone. Someday. The closest I've ever done that is be in the room with a bunch of people who are on an acid trip, and just start pretending like I was seeing things. And just start. Hey, do you see that little green guy over in the corner? That's kind of <laughs> weird. And they would just take it and run with it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just want to cause that person pain is what I really want to do. That's what I'm looking forward to doing. Um, okay. I've got a serious question here. Alka-Seltzer drops in this little fizzy uh-huh. tab there. It's supposed to be one of these things like, oh yeah, people take Alka-Seltzer as though the carbon dioxide bubbles that are coming up off of this somehow help them. I don't understand how that helps them. Do you know, or are you about to give me a guess? I don't know the chemical effect, but I can give you a testimony that (laughs) burping up after drinking that Alka-Seltzer when you have a really upset stomach somehow has a calming effect on the stomach. Okay. I don't don't understand why, but I can tell you I've taken Alka-Seltzer when I was feeling very, very ill... And as I with each burp, I felt successively better. Okay, all right. I accept that testimonial. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, uh, so eating breakfast when one is really uh, yeah. not well. <laughs> By the way, that breakfast that she set down there—it looks like a traditional English Scottish type breakfast. That looked fantastic. I, didn't it make you hungry? <laughs> Oh my gosh! I paused that the episode looked... and went up and got some potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so someone once made me something very similar to that. There were some stewed tomatoes, there were beans, there was uh, some ham, there were some eggs. Uh, it was fantastic, and I asked I asked myself many times why I don't do this for myself. <laughs> uh, laziness is the answer. Uh, so I'm just curious if, uh, some of our British listeners, if that is, uh, you know, something that you you typically 
eat. Just curious. Um, although maybe probably not the sausage for the bobs. I'm wondering. So anyway, I'm curious if that's something that people over there they could have, guys like, have. Turkey sausage. What's that? They could have like turkey sausage, right? Uh, sure. I'm, I'm, not yeah. sure, I'm not sure what the dietary restrictions are there, but uh, pork. Pork was what I was I, getting I knew, at. I know pork is definitely out, but. Okay, so let's move on uh, since I can't have that wonderful breakfast that was there. I, I thought it fascinating that John and Sherlock have a code word for danger. And I couldn't quite catch what Sherlock said. But in the middle of this stream of babble that he's got going on, he turns to John and he says something. And John sits back in his chair and Mary says, what did that mean? Uh, battle station. Someone's about to die. Yeah. Now, did that happen before they were working on the the ghost case? I don't remember because I didn't make that note that it, it you happen, did. It happened in between. So he he had moved into the ghost case and was talking about it, and this is after he dropped the drink. So here is the question I want to know: Where did all of the laptops come from? <laughs> he must have had eight or ten. I, I assume that he just went down to the police station and absconded with them. Just right, right after he was broken out of prison. Yeah. Maybe he grabbed uh, him on the way out that morning. <laughs> I, I like the fact that Sherlock is hiding cigarettes throughout his house. <laughs> he hid a bunch of cigarettes in, in shoe. his shoe. Yeah. Some little house shoe. I like that he walked in with, a, yeah. <laughs> with them all in his mouth like his one giant cigarette. Uh-huh. Uh, so the Mayfly man is at the wedding and someone is about to die. Um, and... I don't know. See, for me, this is one of the glaring things. I absolutely know that it's Shalto who's going to die. Sure. Because he's the main guy, the guest, the the one, you know, who's it's already been mentioned he's got a price on his head, so to speak. There's been death threats, sure. etc. So this whole thing, it's like, oh, well, surprise. Shalto is the one. So Sherlock goes through this big elaborate thing of, oh, I have to puzzle out who the Mayfly person is. No, no, I don't. Don't try and do that. Try and puzzle out who who's the person that we who comes to weddings and and who wouldn't normally be here. And it's like, come on. Here's the thing that I think I found it led credibility to this. He's having to do it with the pressure of the public speaking that clearly made him uncomfortable, and he's trying to keep this running banter with his mouth while his brain works out at the level that his brain is used to working out so that uh, he doesn't make the thing too awkward for everyone in the room. I can see how that would make it harder for Sherlock to apply his normal genius process. I am not a bright man. I figured this out. Okay. And I feel like Sherlock is much brighter than I am. And if he had this much information about all of the people that were going to be there, this should have been a no-brainer. This should not have been this elaborate, oh, I wonder what's going on. The thing I love about this episode is what you and I know the other listeners who we're going to hear from later have mentioned, which is the character stuff, which is phenomenal. It's fantastic. But when you wrap a, you know, a, a burrito up, you know, try to use a fresh tortilla that's actually good and not the one that's all moldy. <laughs> I, again, as someone who 
struggles mightily with public speaking, I felt this was spot on. I didn't feel it was out of place at all. Um, let's move on. Uh, let's see here. So Sherlock starts listing all the ways that he's planned to murder people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was amusing as well. There, there certainly was. There was a lot of funny things that were happening in that whole exchange. I, I grant you. He figures out that it's Shalto, drops a note on his desk. Shalto gets up and leaves. And uh, they eventually, you know, he finishes his toast and Sherlock goes out to you know, save him, uh, or follow after him. John Watson then follows. And then Mary follows soon after that. And they're trying to, you know, get him to open the door. And he's like, no, I'm not going to open this door. If someone's here to kill me, then I'm going to face them on my own terms. They can't get into a locked door. And he's like, no, they really can. You, uh, you know, this, this is already, you can die here. I, I haven't been able to solve that case. He's like, if you solve the case, I'll open the door. Yeah, solve it then. And <laughs> Mary is urging him, solve it. She's like, I can't. I don't know how. I'd have no other information. And Watson says to him, you're, you're not good at puzzles. You're not a You're puzzle a solver. drama queen. You never have been. <laughs> you're a drama queen. And so once that is you know, out in the open, then he, he finally puts it all together and... The guy who killed Bain or tried to kill Bainbridge um, had done it using apparently this weird pick. <sighs> that's the that's the that's another this stupid is the bad, thing. The second bad thing about this episode. Um, I don't care about the belt. I don't care how sharp your knife is. There's no way someone doesn't feel getting stabbed in the back to the point that it will kill them. I agree. I this agree. It's absolutely ridiculous. And let's say that. He did it at belt level. A belt really isn't going to prevent bleeding. I, well, that's not true. I'm sure pressure of a sort would prevent bleeding. That's why we always put pressure on open right. wounds. But I it's just don't that, buy it's that. that Shalto's belt was not that tight. You yeah, can look there's... at his body and see that it's not that tight on him. And if he got stabbed while he was taking pictures... Um, he would have been moving a, a lot. A yeah. lot. Yeah. He would have been sitting down, getting up, and the shift of that. I, I just don't buy the whole thing. I, I'm with you. It's it's the second worst thing about this episode is that we're supposed to buy this premise that yep, the guy's been stabbed and there's been no evidence of it until he takes the belt off. Okay, so they finally they he gets uh, he solves it. He you know opens up the door, etc. Moves on. Sherlock is talking to the bridesmaid, um, matron of honor, and uh, he's like, honor, "Can I reveal something? I love dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I love dancing." And then he does this dance move. He's like, "I I live for in hope of the right case that I can use that someday." Yeah. I love dancing. It rarely comes up in crime work, but you know, I live in hope for the right case. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Uh, let's see here. I don't buy the murder explanation. Too silly. Needlessly complex. Um, also the belt isn't that tight. I already mentioned, um, how would he know that he would wear the uniform as well? Yeah. Cause another special dispensation to wear it. Yeah. But how would he know that he would come to the wedding reception in right. full dress thing yeah, I'm with you? Okay. Uh, and then we come to find out Mary is pregnant and case closed. 
That's all the notes I have. Okay. I had a few others. Uh, as Mary and, and John are waltzing around, I just wanted to make a note that I actually like the waltz. I enjoy dancing the waltz. I was actually pretty good at it once upon a time. Uh, and yet you've never asked me to waltz. Never will. Whatever it takes, whatever happens, from now on I swear I will always be there. Always for all three of you. Oops, that's one more deduction than I had planned on making. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the, the, the closing of this episode that I just thought, what a, what a great capstone on this. You're already the best parents in the world. Look at all the practice you've had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. And then we see Sherlock, Sherlock go off alone into the night. Because as he doesn't fit in with all these other people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, listener comments. Uh, since I already have Brainy's email up here... I don't know why Pete drank so much haterade before sending the email this week, but at least he got the episodes right. I like this episode. I had fun watching it, and I thought the stabby belt shower mystery was intriguing. Sherlock's best man speech was perfect, mixing wit, heart, and awkwardness. I also enjoyed the dude's portrayal of how British people throw bachelor parties. TV 9, Mystery 8... Until next casting, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. P.S. What's next top five? I don't know. Don't ask me. <laughs> if you get your email sent in on time, then I might send it to you. But no, that's not true. Even if you did, I still wouldn't have that ready to go. Uh, let's see here. Next we'll go... top five is your top five favorite original Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock stories. No, it's not that. It's not no. any of those things. Uh, let's go to listener M. He says... First, some feedback from last time. I grew up over in England, and Guy Fawkes Night is celebrated to remind the population that the rule of law is important. The big part of the celebration is the bonfire. It was great fun making a Guy Fawkes effigy to burn on the fire. The fire for the fireworks were also a lot of fun. I remember that sparklers were very common at the celebrations. According to the wiki, Guy Fawkes was imported to the U.S. prior to the Revolution, but after the revolution, it stopped being celebrated. <laughs> also, I'm still confused. Do you know how Sherlock survived his fall? Sherlock's explanation to Anderson has both too many details and too many gray areas to be satisfactory for me. Uh, no, I have no idea. I think that's the point. Uh, the sign of three. It made for a very nice change of pace to get to see the human side of Sherlock this episode. The point of this story is to make a contrast before a grand finale, as the calm before the storm. It is terrific storytelling to watch a tormented person troubled by his own brilliance. TV 9, Sci-Fi 6, Mystery 8, Music 8. Have a great week all. Long live the podcast, M. P.S. I look forward to a fantastic Trek West 5 meetup when the Bobs visit. Should be a fun party. Uh, yeah, since you're here yeah, in we have Utah. Quite a few local listeners, right? Uh, well, we have two that I know of. <laughs> two. Aaron. Um, no, he's not local anymore. He's going to be down in St. George. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, let's go to. Uh, let's see. Dean didn't have anything. John Leindecker, did he? No, he did not. Is John Leindecker not local? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. 
Okay, Bob. Hi, guys. I hope all is well. It's been a busy week, but I'm looking forward to a three-day weekend. Just picking up on a few threads from last week's episode. Wait, does he get Monday Memorial off, too? Day over there? I was just wondering the same thing. Oh. That's that's fantastic. I thought that was. I, think I thought well that deserved. just made us Americans special. I, I think that's a great idea. All right. Uh, filming, uh, just picking up on a few threads from last week's episode, filming on the London Underground. You rightly picked up on the fact that the film sets in both 24 and Sherlock were the same. If you have seen Skyfall or Thor 2, you will have seen the same threat set used there too. The place used in all three is an abandoned area of Charing Cross Tube Station. In the late 90s, a part of the tube called the Jubilee Line was being extended eastwards, making the line's terminus at Charing Cross redundant. However, the bosses of the underground decided to keep the platforms and tunnels in use so that it can be used by film crews. It really annoys me when they try and portray the station as something else. Because I know it's Charing Cross. (laughs) Similarly, the station, Aldwych, pronounced Oldwich, was abandoned in 1994 and is used by film crews. I do feel that the former station is preferred due to the fact it's larger and you have more flexibility. The London Underground is full of several abandoned tube stations. As the system developed, it was found that several stations were not being used, thus not financially viable. So while traveling on the tube, you will find that some tunnels are bricked up. Or if, uh, or if you look very carefully, you can see century-old tile work from stations that have been shut down. Some of the stations were used as underground bunkers during World War II and are in use today as storage areas. A businessman in the UK is trying to buy several and convert them into cafes and bars, which is an interesting concept. It is a truly fascinating uh, thing to see how what the original system of tunnels were to where we are now. Regarding Guy Fawkes Night, Guy Fawkes Night originates from the gunpowder plot of 1605, a failed conspiracy by a group of provincial English Catholics to assassinate the Protestant King James I of England and replace him with a Catholic head of state. The plot involved a large amount of gunpowder planted underneath the House of Lords. Guy was caught, tried, and hanged, with his body being chopped into four four and buried across England as a deterrent to other would-be plotters. Uh, on the episode, The Sign of Three. By the way, thank you, Bob, for yeah. clarifying that. That was very helpful. I'm guessing it is Peter who wrote the email sent out this week. How can you say that this episode is not very good? <laughs> Since when is character progression a bad thing? This episode had warmth, humor, suspense, and fantastic character moments. This episode had several little Easter eggs, such as the telegrams that Sherlock read out. Did you catch the one for Magnuson? As well as callbacks to older episodes and characters, such as Irene Adler. On top of this, we meet the season's 
hot chick, Janine, played by Yasmin Akram. I mean that she is gorgeous and has a lovely Irish accent, too. Who is she? I have no idea who he's talking about. She the bridesmaid woman? The best, or the matron of honor, maid of honor, whatever. Maybe. I don't know. The plot itself may <laughs> Apparently feel... we missed it, Bob. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, the plot itself may feel secondary to the character development, but in a three-episode-per-season show, you need to balance the plot progression and character development. In this case, episodes one and three, getting the plot and action, with episode two getting the talking and emotional weight. But this is not a bad thing. I will warrant that you laughed at least three times during this episode. Several more. It was a very funny episode. I think this is a perfect foil to the first and third episode. A breather, if you will, before the finale. As we will see next week, it was a breather that we most definitely needed. All the best, Bob. Um, I agree with you. You do need a, a palate cleanser, if you will, from time to time. A breather. Um, because you can't ratchet up the suspense and drama all the time and expect it to then carry the same weight. But when you only have three episodes per season... And these things have been strung out over at least a year, and in this case, two years. I don't feel like that's really asking that much to come up with a (laughs) viable plot for the mystery. You're absolutely correct, absolutely correct, that it is about character progression, and that is a fantastic thing. So, uh, But you are right to duly chastise me for whatever you feel you need to, Bob, so please continue that. I just like that your your email has added a new word to my vocabulary. That doesn't happen very often to me, but I can definitely see myself using the word haterade in a future <laughs> conversation. You've never heard that I've before? I've never heard that before. Oh, it's yeah, fantastic. man. Yeah, yeah, haterade. Ah, oh, such good stuff. Okay, those are the emails. Um, so, Pete, yeah. your television rating. Seven. And even though I mentioned in the email and on the podcast here how much I didn't care for it, 7 is still a decent rating. It's just it could have been better if they had actually gone to the trouble of creating a realistic plot around the mystery uh, or the murder itself. Everything else was stunning. It was really fantastic, and it was a lot of fun. And I laughed many, many times because it was very, very funny. I gave it an eight. I think you encapsulated it well. I was not as bothered by the the Sherlock not being able to think on his feet this way as you were. So I think that that right there is in itself probably going to give me that full point bump. But as I've, far I've as never I'm, been able to solve any of these mysteries, really, I solved this one. Yeah, Major Shalto. Uh, as far as a, a mystery goes, I gave it a two, and I think that's kind of being generous. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening.